Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Real Life Ghost Stories. We are here. We've got some very exciting news today. Have we? Yes, we do. What would that be? We reached over 100 patrons at this stage. Wow, that is crazy. That's mental. We never thought we'd get this far. We never thought anyone would ever be a patron. So thank you so much to every single one of our 104 currently Patreon subscribers. And obviously, like always, we want to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. So we would like to thank Kayla. Uh, we'd like to thank Nicole Virgson. Virgson. Virgson? Don't know. Uh, Vargson? <laughs> Vargson. No, I don't know. Sorry if we got your Vargason. name wrong. We would like to thank Id Flashman, who is our gorgeous pal. Uh, we would like to thank Kiara Corcoran. Kira. Nah, it's Kiara, right? That's how their it's, pop star spells well, Kiara. Here's <laughs> my friend from uni. <laughs> Pretty oh. sure her name is Kira. <laughs> All right, Kira Corcoran. Thank you to Becca Palace. Melissa Lennon. To Carly Hollywood. Jenny A. To Matt. To Lucy Evans. And to Georgie White. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, that was a bit Children of the Corn, wasn't it? Thank you all so much. It like genuinely blows my mind. Come every and play day. with us. <laughs> no, don't don't come and play with us because dance is <laughs> weird. Thank you so much for Sorry if I mispronounced your name. Your Patreon Kira. pledges. We really appreciate it so much and we love you all so so much so our film review this week do, 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 do. our film review is wreck and wreck was released in 2007 it has 7.5 out of 10 on imdb and it has 88 percent on rotten tomatoes would you like a synopsis i would indeed Late night TV host Angela and her cinematographer are following the fire service on a call to an apartment building, but the Spanish police seal off the building after an old woman is infected by a virus which gives her inhuman strength. What were your thoughts on this film? Do you know what? I blooming liked it. Did you? Yeah. Why did you like it? Just thought it was a good story. I'm not a massive fan of found footage, handycam stuff, but... In general. In general, but it was all right. It was watchable. It was quite a good story. The only thing is, I guess it suffers from being real time. It suffers from having a little bit of a lack of exposition. So we don't really understand exactly what is going on by the end. See, I quite liked that though, that we didn't really get exactly what was going on. I have just full disclosure. I love a zombie film. Love everything to do with zombie films. Give me a zombie film or a creature feature or both in one and I'm there. Love them. So I was pleasantly surprised when I realised this was actually some sort of zombie film. Yeah. Because I thought it was going to be like a possession film, which I thought was really clever. Which it kind of was. How? Because the, where did the virus come from? The possessed girl? Yeah, but she was never possessed though, was she? That's the whole point. Well, I don't point. know. I saw her at the end. She looked pretty. Oh, God, yeah. She was horrific. I, 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 do you know what? I really enjoyed it. It's just your standard run-of-the-mill zombie film. They're in an apartment, but it's yeah, that's the thing. It's smaller scale. Yeah. If you've seen the film Quarantine, it's like Quarantine, only better. And it is Spanish, so there is subtitles. I did think in the beginning that I was going to get bored. I did as well. I thought you were going to get bored. I thought I'd lost you at one point, to be fair. But I, I managed to get myself back into it. The one thing... It was worth it as well, wasn't it? It was really worth yeah. it. I really enjoyed it. Like, don't expect kind of anything, you know, stunning and really intellectual and like, oh my God, life-changing. It's a zombie film. It follows all the same tropes as a zombie film and it's great. Except... Except... Well, I know what you're going to say. Go on. Do you? Yeah, go on. 
the noises that the zombies made were horrific. That's what. I was oh, that's. Say. I thought you were going to say something else. No. Yeah, the noises were made. I think they were made like by the people. Yeah. They didn't sound like sound effects, but they and were as brilliant. a result, they were really actually horrific and frightening. And there was a little girl zombie at one point who just bit her mum's face off. <laughs> bit her mum's face off as a first start, and then, but she um was making this horrific noise. Yeah, like, like it was oh, like a cat, wasn't it? It was almost God, like a cat yowling. And uh, the the old woman as well at the beginning. This is like a gorilla. She's making gorilla noises, and she's like, Ooh. "Yeah, it was great." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, girl, you go for it." Yeah, she and she moved really freakily as well, and oh, it was just brilliant. I really, I really enjoyed it. The only thing I don't didn't like was I didn't like the lead woman. She was well annoying. I just wanted her to die from about from about ten minutes in. There's zombies everywhere. You're not getting out because you've been hemmed in by the police and the military. And then um, the one thing that you need to do is not let the zombies know where you are. The last thing that I think (laughs) you should do in that situation is shout. But that's all she does. Her only method of communication throughout this whole film is to shout at people. And it is the most frustrating thing that I have ever watched. She was the least likable character in the whole thing she was awful she was very committed to her filming as well because she awful. kept saying oh, we've got to let people know keep the camera rolling don't touch the camera the camera the camera shut up woman no oh, she was so annoying she was I have awful. to say I just remembered most of them became zombies and we saw them being zombies apart from that little boy in the Barcelona shirt what happened to him oh who knows maybe he maybe he escaped maybe there's a wreck too yeah with him there is with a wreck too we've got it on the shelf oh is there <laughs> yeah Oh, <laughs> next week's film review. Yeah, it was in the it was in the poll from the pile that we got. Yeah. Oh, mate, that I am genuinely excited. Well, I don't know whether it's as good, but there is a sequel. I just yeah, don't don't go into it like it's not a film with special effects. It's not it's nothing like that. Yeah, it's some pretty good blood in it. No, no, but I think the zombies look good and stuff. I think their makeup is really good and all that. But like, it's not it's not a really clean film. No. If that makes sense. But it's handheld footage. The lead girl is really annoying. I think you need to brace yourself for that. And it's just, I just thought it was a really good, fun film. And the the monster thing at the end. Oh, God, she was horrific. Was she horrific. me right out. But oh. didn't look too cheap or badly no, done, I didn't think. she didn't. I mean, she didn't look realistic, but... Well, I don't know if she was... I, can, yeah. can you imagine anything like that looking vaguely yeah. realistic? But I think I thought it was a clever story. And it, it and like that, it kept you guessing. And it, weeded, it kind of wheedled in bits about possession as well, which was interesting. And I really liked it. What would you give it out of five? 4.5. I'd give it four. And the reason I give it four is because she was so annoying. She really wound me up. I spent ages, like the really intense bit at the end, I spent so long just going, oh my God, shut the fuck up. Why are you making so much noise? You are so annoying. I hope you die. I hope they all catch you. Yeah, but she was last one going, wasn't she? Well, why don't you ruin the film for everybody? I pretty much ruined it already. How? We just we told them all what it was oh, about. Oh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> so are you ready for our stories this week? Uh, no, I'm never ready for stories. Are we? Is this the second part of the one we did last week? Yeah, guess where we're going. Mm. We're going back to Japan. So if we're back in Japan, yeah. is this? can this be about nice things like... New Japan wrestling and Pokemon and video games and sushi. Pocky and sushi and bullet trains. Absolutely not. Oh. Actually, I don't think any of those things are in this oh. this this section of stories. So oh. these stories are real life Japanese ghost stories. Okay. So they're not urban legends. Right. They're stories that I found all the way from Japan. Oh, how was your translation going? You read I had to learn Japanese in the last two weeks. It was really difficult. I'm impressed. I know, thank you. Did you use Duolingo? Yes, I did. 
That's not an ad, by the way. <laughs> Nobody wants Unless to Unless you want to pay us. us. <laughs> Story number one. Are you ready? No, I'm never ready for these. Have we not established that 33 episodes in? I should start off by saying my brother is not only a military man, but he's your basic hetero, never let them see you cry, cliche of a Six military four, man. 250 pounds. I was about to say, I'm surprised they haven't given his <laughs> fucking weight and his height. He's not afraid of anything. Well, except for the entire country of Japan. This is his story. My brother joined the Marines when he was 18 and was stationed in Japan. He really enjoyed his time there for a while. The girls, specifically. He made friends with some of the Japanese guys his age who worked around the base. On nights where him and his soldier friends had the night off, the local Japanese guys would show them around, bring them to bars, introduce them to girls, etc. One night, after little drinking and no luck with girls, the guy invited my brother home to play video games. My brother accepted the invite and they played games for a few hours. During this time, he tells my brother the main reason he wanted to get home early was because his little sister had been suffering from night terrors causing her to wake up screaming, crying and sometimes vomiting. He was worried about her and wants to be home in case she had an episode. At this point in the story, I should explain how this guy's house was shaped. The house was built in the shape of a horseshoe with a garden in the middle. His bedroom was at the very end on one side of the U-shape and his sister's all the way at the other end, so they were essentially across that garden from each other. If he looked out of his window, he could see into hers and vice versa. So anyways, they decided to call it a night and the Japanese guy walks over to the window to look across the garden into his sister's window to check on her. He lifts the blinds and peers out for a fraction of a second before jumping back screaming and looking at my brother like he just saw something horrible. My brother then goes to look and he stops him. He tells him that he saw a dark cloud with red eyes hovering over his sister's sleeping body. My brother naturally does not believe him and decides to look for himself. He creeps quietly over to the window and lifts the blinds, but this time he finds himself eye to eye with what he describes as a dark black puff of smoke with a face. My brother and this other guy admit that they got under the guy's covers and stayed there until it was light outside, too afraid to lift the blankets and see that the smoky figure had come a little closer and was in the room with them, just on the other side of the thin sheets. I don't know what to believe. Or if maybe they drank more than what they said they did that night and imagined it all. But I know my brother believes what he saw. He sticks to his story. And when he tells it, he looks like someone who saw something truly sinister. I don't like, and you don't like, things that move too quickly. And imagine the fear. Somebody says, oh, I've just seen, you know, a puff of smoke of red eyes. You'd be like, yeah, whatever. And go and look at the window and it's right there in like your that face. that cat you showed me in the video that was getting, Oh, the cats. When cats, um, I think somebody posted in the super group, you know, when cats stalk and then they get closer and closer without when they think you're not looking. Like that, except not a cat and a puff of smoke with red eyes and a face. What is that? What, what could that be? There's loads of um, stories of black puffs, haven't there? Like what? Like it's all black smoke, isn't it? But like they always talk about black wispy men and stuff like that. Black wispy men. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I like, really don't know what you mean. Smoke figures, like shadow figures. Smoke, oh yeah, but they, but they. I always thought they were like human forms that just looked looked a bit like smoky. Okay, so I'm really confused. I know you said that none of these stories were about video games. Okay, but there is a video game in this story. Okay, I know you said that none of these stories about Pokemon, but yep. that black mist sounds like ghastly to me. <gasps> Just saying. 
Oh, I take it back. I take it's a Pokemon. Of course it is. Why didn't they? Why didn't they catch it? He didn't. He's obviously not aware of got to catch obviously, them all. Obviously, obviously not feeling the got to catch them all vibes. <laughs> oh, what an idiot! I'm making a joke about this because it's actually really scary, and I don't like it. I wonder because you know the way the guy was like, "Oh, she's having night terrors and vomiting and stuff." What was it that was stalking her? Because it sounds like whatever it was was making her. The thing is, I can really vividly picture this because the opening level of Yakuza 6 is when he goes back to the orphanage where he grew up in the country. Mm. The house is laid out just as he described it. So it's in that U shape with a garden in the middle. And you go into the house and you walk around because you have to speak to the various kids in the different rooms. I've got it. I've got the whole house in my head. You've got it in your head. Scary. You are there. Yeah. Are you ready for story number two? No. Is it another Pokemon story? It's no. No, it's not a Pokemon story. Mm. Are you ready? No. This summer, I decided to fulfill a dream I've had since I was 10 years old. I moved from Sweden to Tokyo to study Japanese for three months. Now I've been here for seven weeks, and a minute doesn't pass by without me wanting to check flights back home. I'm absolutely terrified of what haunts my apartment. I'm not going to waste words on describing the culture clash that occurs when you, as a Swede, move to Japan. However, I will describe some of the most relevant first impressions. My experience with long time travelling is that it's 70% the most amazing time of your life. Imagine lying on a sunny beach, eating great food, having no responsibilities. And 30% your worst nightmare. Imagine 48 hour bus rides accompanied by food poisoning. This trip has turned those numbers around for me. My school was located in one of Tokyo's northern wards and during my first week I spent every day exploring as much of the city as I could. I was completely overwhelmed and I loved every single second of it. I loved the food, the people, the language and just the atmosphere itself. The only thing I didn't love was my dormitory. I stayed at the school dormitory due to the fact that it was cheap and convenient. My roommate was a sweet girl from Thailand who didn't speak a word of English. We tried to have a conversation in Japanese the same day I moved in, but the attempt was quite unsuccessful. Mostly due to the fact that my Japanese speaking ability was limited to where can I find the post office and how much is this? Phrases you seldom use when you're trying to make new friends. At the end of my first week I started to feel lonely, having very few people to talk to in either Swedish or English. The Thai girl that I shared a room with was constantly with her gang of friends. She used to have them over and while I laid in bed, either studying or watching Netflix, they were so loud I couldn't focus. To be honest, I wasn't as much annoyed as I was jealous. There I was, 15 hour flight away from family and friends and all these girls seemed to have the time of their life with each other. Whenever they were over, they chattered and laughed together a lot, which made me miss my own friends even more. But the dormitory kitchen and common room were always crammed with people and I had nowhere to go when I wanted to leave my room. I could have made more effort to make friends, I'm willing to admit that, but the language barrier was way too much for me. Adding the fact that conversation often went silent for a few seconds whenever I entered either the common room or the kitchen and people stared at me, it didn't make the situation better. Wanting to avoid both my own room and the common room in the dormitory wasn't a situation that was going to last. So far the 70-30 long time travel ratio was accurate. 70% in love with Tokyo, 30% loathing my dorm. After two weeks I'd had enough and decided to move out. As a non-Japanese citizen, getting your own place in Tokyo is extremely difficult and often super expensive, so I went to my school for help. A few days later, the only English-speaking member of the staff called me and was very pleased to tell me that she'd found an apartment that I could rent as long as the school's representative stood on the contract. It was only two stations away from the school, with the Yamanote line, a very central part of Tokyo's municipal traffic, and the rent wasn't as high as I expected. 
That night I felt so relieved and thrilled I fell asleep immediately after going to bed, even though my roommate and her friends watched a K-drama on the TV while giggling immensely. The very next weekend I arrived at the apartment with all my things in a huge rucksack on my back. It was the third week in June. It was hot and humid due to the fact that the rain season had just begun, hence I was covered in both my own sweat and rainwater. It was not at all like the dry, cold Swedish weather I was used to and I longed for the AC in the apartment. I used my new key, turned the doorknob and went in. The apartment was super tiny and had a weird sort of moist smell to it. Thankfully the place had wooden floors instead of tatami mat which I found inconvenient since I didn't know how to clean it. I put down my large rucksack in the apartment's main room and began to explore. There was a kitchen the size of a one square metre which you could access from the main room and a toilet and a shower that was maybe 1.5 square metres that you could access from the tiny hallway. The place could have used a good renovation but everything seemed to be in order. The electricity was working just fine and there was hot water in both the bathroom and the kitchen. The walls were painted white, probably at least 10 years ago since they were likely stained yellow in several places. In the main room there were two windows which were larger than the Japanese standard. Over them hung metal sun blinds. In the kitchen there was a small window pretty close to the ceiling. It gave the kitchen a feeling of warmth. Overall the apartment was sparsely furnished with a mattress on the floor in the main room and a small table right in front of it. It had no bookshelves, no chairs and no dining table. I made myself at home and started to put my things in the wardrobe, which was built into the wall, Japanese style, when I discovered a cabinet at the bottom of it. Cabinets for storing futon beds, sheets and covers are very common in Japanese homes, but this was the first time I actually saw one on the floor of a wardrobe. I couldn't see any handles, so I tried to open it by pushing my fingernails into the fine slits between the wardrobe floor and the cabinet door. I pushed my fingernails across the edge of the hatch and pulled upwards. It was stuck. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't open it. After getting a splinter under my index fingernail, I swore out loudly and gave up. My finger was bleeding, and after putting out the splinter, it itched for several minutes. I made a mental note to ask the landlord about the cabinet the next week when I was going to his office to sign some insurance papers. What was the point of having a cabinet that did not open? At least, not from the outside, a tiny voice said in my head. The thought made me shiver, and I decided to ignore it. I explored the rest of the cabinets in the main room and in the cabinet above my bed I discovered something. An object was lying on the bottom at the back of the cabinet. It was dark and I used the flashlight on my phone to see. I reached my hand in and pulled out the object. It was a packet of cigarettes and a lighter. I'd had the bad habit of smoking during my teenage years and now I'd managed to almost quit completely. Nowadays I only lit a cigarette at special occasions. The package was black and from a Japanese brand I didn't recognise. Without thinking too much, I put them in my school bag. Maybe I'd treat myself to one after my first Japanese exam was done. I preferred these kind of cabinets, even though they were dusty and apparently held items from previous residents. At least I knew that they were contained. What could be hidden in the locked cabinet in the wardrobe? My thoughts went to an article I read online a few years ago. A Japanese homeless woman had lived in a closet in a man's apartment for six years without him noticing. Every day when he went to work, she came out from the closet and had a small bite of all the food in his refrigerator. Eventually the man noticed that small pieces of food were missing and put a camera to find out how it happened. He supposedly watched the film of the woman getting out of his closet and then getting back in, sitting right in front of the closet. I can't imagine how scared he must have felt. If the story is true, that is. Cooking makes me relax and the joy of being able to cook by myself in my own kitchen soon made me forget about the cabinet. 
I whipped up an omelette, fried meat and vegetables and boiled some rice. Had my dinner on the floor of the main room while watching Rick and Morty episodes on my laptop. As soon as I'd finished, I stood up and walked over the wooden floor to the tiny kitchen while the Rick and Morty episode was still playing in the background. Maybe the experience from living in the noisy dorm actually changed my preference for sounds because for some reason the silence made me feel really uncomfortable. I started to do the dishes when I heard something from the other room. I froze. A very light creaking sound could be heard through the noise coming from my laptop. It sounded like something scraping at wood, but it was barely audible. I slowly pulled off my washing gloves and peeked into the other room. Nothing was there, obviously. I scanned the room to find the source of the noise and immediately realised that it was coming from the wardrobe. I got goosebumps all over my arms. It sounded like a rat was in there, scraping its tiny but sharp paws against the closed door. Then it suddenly stopped. I'd been holding my breath without realising it and let out a long sigh. I went back to the kitchen. It must have been some plumbing in the wall behind the closet making that sort of noise. I refused to let my imagination make up the grudge or the ring-inspired fantasies. I liked this apartment, and I was going to stay in it. I went to bed and plugged in my earphones to make sure I wouldn't hear that scraping sound again. At 3.30am I woke up. The AC was on and the room was now freezing cold, so I reached for the remote to turn it off. The room was dark, but before I went to sleep I put the remote control on the floor right next to my bed. I fumbled in the dark. It wasn't there. For some reason my thoughts went to the wardrobe and I glanced in that direction. It was, to my great relief, closed. I went up and turned off the AC manually by pushing a button. As soon as I had done that, I heard a noise from behind me. I flew around quickly. It had sounded like light steps on the wooden floor, but I couldn't see anyone. The room was quite dark, but some strings of light from the street signs outside fell in through the window sun blinds, which I had not closed entirely. Slowly and carefully, I made my way back to the bed, and just as I was about to lie down, I heard something again. There it was. The same scraping sound from the closet. Something very small and sharp scraped against the wardrobe door from the inside over and over again. First it was quiet for three or four seconds maybe and then it started again from the top of the door and pulled downwards. I must be imagining things. I practically threw myself into bed and pulled the cover over my head, plugged in my earphones, put on a Swedish podcast and decided that it was all a dream. The idea that I had moved into a haunted Japanese apartment was both frightening and ridiculous. I was being silly. My imagination must be playing tricks on me. This was a great apartment. I tried to convince myself before I fell asleep. In the morning, I woke up with my pyjamas glued to my body. Due to the fact that the AC had been completely turned off in my room, it felt like I'd woken up inside an oven. (laughs) Daylight fell in through the window and again I started searching for the remote control for the AC. After a couple of minutes of thoroughly looking around the small room, I got up from bed and turned the AC on manually. I had breakfast, went to school, and afterwards I had a cup of coffee with my first real friend, a Japanese guy named Hiro. Hiro was from Osaka, but had lived two years in the United States, which made having conversations in English very easy. I'd met him through an after-school club at the university. He was very easy to talk to, but I didn't mention the weird events that had taken place the night before in my apartment. I did, however, tell him that I'd left the dorm and I now had my own place. He became very excited when I told him which neighbourhood I now lived in. Apparently his grandmother lived only three blocks away from my apartment. Considering how huge Tokyo is, this was a rather remarkable coincidence. Hiro promised he would pass by the next time he was visiting his grandmother, 
and then we said goodbye and I went home. Silent raindrops fell down on my umbrella as I stood outside my front door. While feeling a bit uneasy, I turned the doorknob and went in. After shaking most of the water from the umbrella, I went in, closed the door behind me. It made a clicking sound when the door locked automatically. I quickly lit the lights in the main room and pulled out my laptop from my bag and started playing some music while putting groceries in the kitchen. Before I went to bed, I yet again opened the closet and stared at the cabinet at the bottom. With a dull knife, I tried to bend it open from different angles, but the cabinet didn't seem to move in the slightest. With a deep sigh, I gave up and went to bed. At 3am, I woke up in an instant. I'd heard the noise again. The tapping of light steps on the wooden floor. Oh, gross. A feeling of panic went through my body and I immediately got out of bed and turned the lights on. The closet door was wide open. Mm. I was 100% sure that I'd closed the property before going to bed. It felt like my stomach had turned itself inside out at the sight of it. First hesitating for a few seconds, then I slowly walked across the room and looked at the closet. Cold sweat made my hands moist and I could barely hold my phone. Not sure why I was clinging on to it, maybe it just made me feel safer. Like I wasn't alone in there, even though I most certainly was. Right? There couldn't be anyone else there, could there? I turned my head and looked at the front door. It was still closed. Then I turned my head and looked in the closet. The cabinet was open. No! Shivers went down my spine and my heart started racing. Shit, this was real. This apartment was actually haunted by something. Carefully, I peeked into the cabinet. There was a very small space down there and it was extremely filthy. An odd smell came from it. Oh, it's making me feel funny. I don't like it. Like the smell of moist mould mixed with burnt wood. I hate that smell. With my heart pounding in my chest, I bent over the cabinet and looked straight down in the cramped dark space. At the bottom of the cabinet, surrounded by dust, long black strings of hair and other kinds of dirt, was an object that just didn't seem to fit in. It had a light grey colour and a smooth surface. It was the remote control for the AC. What? <laughs> oh, I am not able for this. Oh. Whatever it was that was living in the filthy cabinet, apparently it liked to play games. I took a step back, and while a million thoughts went through my head, I did what was the nearest to survival instinct I had, and slammed the closet door shut. Or rather, I tried to. But for some reason it wouldn't close. I put both my hands on it and pushed with all my strength. But something kept it from closing. After a few seconds of pushing, I started to look along the edge of the door. And when my glance reached the right corner of the door, I screamed out loud and fell away backwards. There was a small hand holding the bottom of the door. A small hand coming out from the closet... The four fingers were grabbing the edge of the door hard. If I hadn't turned on the lights earlier, I probably wouldn't have noticed it, but there it was. The skin was pale, there was black dirt around each fingernail, and thin blue veins were visible through the white skin on the knuckles. It looked like the hand of a small child. It's your mate from the grudge. Shut up! That's all I can think about! I can't get it out of my head! Knowing that I must have pinched those tiny fingers in the door opening pretty hard made me feel nauseous. Right in front of my... Oh, I can't even be dealing with this story. Like, it's actually... I'm actually covered in goosebumps. Whew. Right in front of my eyes, the small hand let go of the door and pulled back into the wardrobe. My mind went blank. 
I felt tears silently falling from my eyes. I sat frozen, staring at the closet for almost a minute and then I got up to go into the bathroom. Due to the knee injury that I had experienced two years earlier, I had some pretty strong sleeping medication. I popped three pills at once and then fell asleep on the floor in the shower. Before I went into a deep sleep, I heard those light footsteps again on the wooden floor in the other room. I woke up... Oh, God. I woke up ten hours later, my body aching bad. I'd been sleeping in the fetal position on the hard bathroom floor and it made my limbs sore. Realising I'd already missed most of the school day made me feel awful. Remembering why I'd slept in the bathroom, to begin with, made me feel even more awful. The effect of the sleeping pills made my brain slower than usual. I left the bathroom and in the afternoon sun the other room didn't seem as frightening as it had during the night. Maybe the medicine had made me unable to think properly. My mouth was dry and my throat was sore so I had a large glass of water. When the water poured down my throat it felt like life slowly returning to me. I took another glass of water and ended up drinking it while sitting in front of the closet door staring at it while massaging my temples. It couldn't have been a dream, could it? Well I guess there was only one way to find out. I swallowed the last of the water with determination. I flung the wardrobe door open, expecting it to look like it had before the cabinet was open. To my great surprise, the cabinet was still open. It was revealing its dark and dirty insides just as it had done the night before. It couldn't have been a dream after all. I didn't want to look down in the filthy cabinet again, so I began to close the wardrobe door. I stopped when I caught a glimpse of something in the wardrobe that made me flinch. Even when the light was on, it was dark in there, and now in daylight I noticed something on the small door to the cabinet. The square door that I had tried so hard to open earlier was now standing upright, showing me the side of the door that while it was closed was facing the inside of the cabinet. There were marks on it, long thin cuts in the wood. The deepest cuts were covered in dark brown stains. At first, the long thin marks looked like a cutout pattern but I had to lean in to be able to see it properly. In doing so, I grabbed the handle of the wardrobe and accidentally struck my index finger in which I'd gotten a large splinter the night before. I swore angrily on reflex and then the fear made me freeze. I looked at my finger and then the strange marks on the inside of the cabinet door. Small fingers, most likely bleeding and full of splinters, had tried to tear the door apart from the inside the noise of something very tiny scratching on wood. There'd been somebody in the cabinet. Judging by the size, somebody with very small hands, like a child, like the small hand that had stopped me from closing the wardrobe door yesterday. It felt like someone had poured a bucket of ice on me. The feeling of panic poured over me again and I had to bite myself in the lip not to scream out loud again. I put on some clothes and started to collect all of my most necessary valuables. When I tugged my charger from the wall socket, I saw something right next to my bed. It was the remote control for the AC. While I'd been sleeping on the bathroom floor, it had somehow made its way back. In my head, I imagined the tiny, dirty hand putting it there. I left the apartment immediately. Now I'm in a cafe. I texted Hero and said there had been an emergency and that I needed somewhere to crash tonight. He said he was really busy at work and he would meet me here in about three hours. I've spent those hours writing down what I've experienced in the last few days. I'd planned to attach a picture of the cabinet for some reason my phone shut down every time I tried. Bullshit. 
<laughs> the battery's been a little sketchy lately. So it's either that or whatever lives there doesn't want to get caught on camera. Eventually, I have to go back. Why was that so awful? Well, because it's that someone being in a house that shouldn't be there, isn't it? But oh, that, um, just... that story he told to begin with is real. I've seen the video. Oh, I've seen, there's a video of a guy in New York, though, as well. Oh, is it? So, you know, the one where she climbs down out of the, like, yeah. um, cupboard yeah. close to the ceiling. But there, was, I'm fairly sure there was a Japanese yeah. um, version of that story. Not that it's not true. I don't mean version as no. in, like, it's a tale. But of people living in people. That freaked me out so much, yeah. that story. Imagine somebody living in your house and, like, knocking around. Yeah. The houses I've lived in have been broken into, like, twice, I think. It is the worst feeling in the world. When you come back and you think, oh my God, somebody was going through my stuff. Like a stranger was going through my house. And that is a really weird feeling. Yeah. Do you remember the time somebody stole my basil? Yeah, but that was an estate agent or the builder, wasn't it? That's not the point. (laughs) That is not the point. So I'm going to, I need to tell this story because it's really important to me. So I can't grow things. I'm not able to. That is true. And I somehow had managed to grow a really amazing basil plant on my kitchen windowsill. And it was in this gorgeous pot and it was really tall and beautiful. And I came home from work one day and I was like, Dan, why did you cut my basil plant? You are such a, like, you're such a dick. I told you that I didn't need to be cut and that I'm using it for cooking and you shouldn't cut it. And Dan was like, I didn't cut your basil plant. <laughs> and I was going mental. And then I realized a builder had been in our house building things and he had stolen some of my basil plant because he was an animal fucking still not okay about it if you're listening to this and you stole my basil plant I don't want you you give it back (laughs) I want it back now so what were your thoughts on that story I think that it might be the ghost of a child that was locked in a cabinet by his evil dad and I don't actually think he meant the Swedish guy any harm potentially not I don't think the child meant any harm either but I think it's quite creepy still but that fucking hand makes me want to die part of me is like I don't know if I would just be able to run away because if it was like a child's hand, no, actually, children are scary. Yeah, I probably would have slammed it on the kids. Oh, hands, God. If I was in the apartment and I was hearing scratching noises and then the cabinet was empty and then a child's hand came out to stop me closing the wardrobe door, I'd be slamming that door on the child's But wouldn't you hand. kind of want to know... No, I wouldn't want to know. I'm sorry. No, I don't want to know. What Are they invisible during the day? Like, are they an invisible child during the day? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't want to know if there's a child in there. I don't need to know. It's no... All I can think about is that little boy from the grudge and it's killing me. It's making me really... What's his name? Tomoko. Toshio. Toshio. Tomoko. Tomoko. I made that name up. Toshio, that's it. Toshio is his name. I kind of feel a bit sorry for it. I do feel sorry for it. I mean, who wants might to be just locked... Need, might just need releasing, maybe. Who wants to be locked in a cabinet? You know? Nobody. Yeah. But I just... I, I wouldn't need that in my apartment when I was living in Tokyo. What if his like skeleton was down there and all it needs is them to be like relocated? I like listen. I don't. I don't care. I just don't want to be the one to have to do it. Well, you just get him out and drop kick him down the stairs in the apartment anyway. Oh, I just can't be. The story really made me upset. <laughs> but it wouldn't make you upset if uh, if you weren't thinking of the grudge though. It's only because you're thinking of the grudge. <laughs> if this was like a story about Ireland, you'd be like me. Yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. the grudge. That is, it's the grudge element that's killing me. And it's the fact they say in the story that like. When they heard the noises first, they were trying not to think about the grudge or the ring. You know, the ring doesn't bother me as much. It's just that That's strategic grudge. placement, though, because they're telling you a story and they want you to think about the grudge and the ring. Yeah, I think I don't think it's real. I think, but I just think <clears> it's a very well told story. I think it's real. 
Shut up, Dan. I think that boy needs saving. Uh, did you go, go saving then? I will. Off you Give go. me the address book, of the Swedish guy. I'll go and find I'll him. I'll book your flights to Tokyo. <laughs> With more money. <laughs> With all the money that we have. <laughs> all the millions of pounds. I'll book your flights to Tokyo. You can you can let me know how brave you are when you get into that apartment and that little, them little footsteps is knocking around at night time. Oh, well, I wouldn't stay in the apartment. I'd go in the daylight and what destroy the cupboard and just find out what's in it. A little ghost boy. Were you not listening to the story? Yeah, but it's not the ghost boy. It's what the ghost boy is attached to, isn't it? Oh, okay. you got to release like, him. You sound like Zach Bagans. I am Zach Bagans. You're not Zach Bagans. No, you've said it three times. He's going to appear in it. Oh, no. I can't be dealing with him tonight either. <laughs> oh. I didn't really like that story. I'm just trying to rationalise it because I'm scared. Just like in the last one, I tried to make it a Pokemon story because I was scared. This... Last story is not as horrific. Are you sure? Well, mm, I I was, but now I'm not so sure anymore because I'm frightened. And reportedly, apparently, this story comes from a translated Japanese journal that was found in a temple. Oh. Are you ready? No, not now. Why did you have to tell me that bit? Why couldn't you tell me that at the end? Well, listen, I'm telling you now, so you're prepared. It is late at night and my wife sits on her knees sipping from an empty teacup before placing it back on the table. Over and over again she repeats this, her eyes empty and her gaze aimless. I sit across from her, my head on my knee, lying against the wall. I pick at a stray straw on the tatami, counting the moments. Will it come tonight? Three times in seven days. The priest at the temple told us it would last until the new moon and come on random days. Determined by the whims of a mind no one knew. Sip, clink, sip, clink, sip. I finally notice my young wife and her empty teacup. I stand and cross the room, briefly resting a hand on her shoulder as I pass her. With kettle in hand, I take the cup from her. She resists at first before her eyes fall into focus on my face. She scrunches it, ready to cry. Knock, knock. It's here. She and I freeze, our eyes locked. I break the connection first, facing the door just as the second set of knocks arrive. Knock, knock. Slow, firm, meticulously spaced. The sound of a guest of some renown. Who is it? I ask. It is not a question. Please, sir, I am so very cold. Won't you please let me in? Fucking black eyed kids, innit? The voice is small, innocent. The voice of a child or maybe a young woman. It shakes and shivers and for the fourth time I consider letting it in. No, I say, you may not enter this house. There is a pause and the knocking begins again. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. The knocks increase in frequency, they increase in speed, they increase in urgency. Please, the voice at our door says begging, please let me in. My wife is quietly crying beside me as I hold the kettle in one hand and her teacup in the other. No, you are not welcome here, I say. The knocking stops. Silence. A pure silence, the kind which cuts you, telling you that you are alone even when you know you aren't. And then... Banging. Hard, frantic banging, desperate and animalistic, the pounding of a hundred tiny hands, the clawing and scraping of beasts too big to be real, too big to imagine even in nightmares. The voice is back. It's the same voice, but wholly different. Let me in. It is full of malice and anger. 
No, I say. My voice is growing thin. You cannot enter. I almost choke on the words. My mouth is full of water. Let me in, it screams, alone. And then, let me in. There are more voices now, deep and shrill, soft and great, damp and dying and dead. My wife is shaking. Her arms are around my leg as she sobs silently. You panic I cannot say it I need to say it but I cannot I swallow and my next words are meek you are not welcome here the pounding ceases you are not welcome here I say my voice returning leave now silence we let the silence sit I pour my wife tea and sit beside her we spend the rest of the night with our shoulders pressed against one another never speaking never looking at each other just listening. This has been our life since the night following the previous new moon. Every night we stay awake until dawn, listening for any signs of a visitor ready to answer it. The first night was pure luck. I was drunk and my wife was sleeping, so I didn't want to open the door to a neighbourhood kid. The voice wouldn't answer any of my questions and once the banging started I began screaming, go away, go away, until it stopped. The next morning, exhausted, my wife and I went to the temple to consult with the priests. The monk that met us was surprisingly knowledgeable and assured us that we were safe as long as we told the visitor firmly that it is not welcome in our home. They cannot enter without permission, he said, his shaved head reflecting sunlight so intensely that I couldn't properly make out his face. But who are they? I asked. He simply shook his head. You are the third family who has come to see me. We formed a town guard with a mix of former soldiers and priests, but we have yet to see them. The last family swore they could hear the voices even as we stood outside their front door with nothing but the summer air before us. With a few last prayers together and a hint or two at the need for donations, my wife and I left the temple. The young monk set us off, his head a beacon even in the fading afternoon light. It is the 26th night. The moon is beginning to fade in the night sky. My wife said it is the most beautiful thing she has ever seen. A rabbit on the moon smiling upon us. To me it looks like a mocking smile, a knowing smile. The full moon came and went eleven nights ago. We were told it would be the worst night, and it was. But we made it. Since then the visits are less frequent, and less insistent when they do come. It seems as though the number of voices has dwindled as well. Perhaps they grow impatient and seek other families to bother. I tidy up the bedroom, shoving the futon into our closet while my wife prepares tea in the living room. We have taken to sleeping during the day, after I finish my work. It is a short sleep, but it is enough for now. Our trial is almost over. I leave the bedroom and walk to the living room. I stretch my arms over my head and yawn loudly, closing my eyes. When they open, my heart stops. At our low table, knees resting on a floor cushion, is a well-dressed old man. He wears a white and yellowed checkered coat over a black kimono. In his hand is my wife's teacup. I turn to my wife who is standing, our guest teacup in one hand, clacking against the plate she holds in the other. She is trembling. Who is this? I ask. She merely looks at me and begins to cry. I turn to the old man himself. He is very old and impossibly small. His head seems a normal size but his torso is that of a much smaller man. His limbs are short as well and he has no hair but a small pointed beard. Who are you? I ask him. He perks up and looks at me with small eyes. They brighten, 
shown me a look of knowing and remembrance, like a grandfather seeing his grandson for the first time in many years. Oh yes, welcome, welcome, he says. He gestures to the seat before me. Please take a seat. He turns to my wife. And a cup of tea for him as well, if you please. His voice is normal, jovial, the voice of an everyday old man. I begin to feel relaxed. I take a seat across from him and the house begins to feel strange. Was the table always this low? Was the tatami this frayed before? The colour of the wall seems suddenly really unfamiliar. My wife returns and serves me tea. The old man continues to sip his and I raise my teacup as well. My wife puts a hand over it. I look at her and she shakes her head, her eyes wide and terrified. What is it, honey? I ask her. Oh, the tea is fresh and must be scalding hot, says the old man. Do be careful. I will, thank you. My wife sits beside me, staring at the table. I'm suddenly aware of the time and the impending moment. I'm worried that it will scare the old man. As I ponder, I take a sip of my tea. It is indeed hot. My wife gasps and I turn to face her. My eyes pass over the old man and as I do, I see his smile. It is a mocking smile. A knowing smile. Then the knocking begins. It is small. The smallest it has been before tonight. As the moon weakens, so does the force of these knocks. They no longer seem firm or meticulous. They finally match the voice on the other side of them in size and in timidity. I'm flooded with a sense of satisfaction and confidence. I open my mouth to begin the ritual, but the old man speaks first. Who is it? He says. It isn't a question. Please, sir, I'm so very cold. Won't you please let me in? The voice is smaller than ever, barely a whisper, the gasp of a child left to die in the snow. It is easy to muster my strength and my courage to order them away tonight. Tonight I will deny them so completely that they will never return. I open my mouth and I say, You are not welcome here. Leave immediately and never return. But no sound comes out. The old man sips his tea. He places it on the table. He turns his head to the door and he says, Why, yes, of course, do come in. I turn to my wife and she's staring at the doorway. Her eyes are wide with terror and there is the reflection of a moving shadow in them. She screams. The old man is smiling. He is nodding his head as if greeting an old friend. I turn to the doorway and that is all I remember. I awoke this morning in the temple. I am told that my wife is gone. I am told that my home has been destroyed, torn asunder like a raft in a typhoon. But I look at them and I tell them, my house? Now that was the old man's house. I will become a monk. I will shave my head and I hope it will be as bright and smooth as the monk I met before. Perhaps I can be a beacon then, who can lead to light the next family who hears a knocking on their door. This journal will help me in that. I do so miss my wife. What the vegetables. There you go. That is terrible. That's the worst story by far. Do you really think so? Yeah, I think you're fixated on the t- Tomoko <laughs> Toshio comparison. What? That that is because I've there's a million there's a million stories about things being in your house and spirits and child ghosts and mysterious objects and hidden cabinets. We've heard it all before. That last story is truly terrifying. What's so terrifying about it? Who is that old man? Oh yeah, imagine coming downstairs. Imagine if you came downstairs and there was just an, a really well-dressed old man sitting at the kitchen table. Part of me would think it was Bims in her human form. And we'd be like, oh, you're 
actually a really well-dressed old man. Yeah. How bizarre. Not what I expected. But then he... Because they've been fighting something, some unknown power, for ages and ages and ages. And, and he was, the, he the was like the final boss. And then he comes in and he tricks them into drinking tea that silences their voices. And the wife had already drunk it, clearly, and she knew and she tried to stop him. Oh! He that makes way more sense attention. than how I read it. I read and it then, that, she, that he had drugged... Or that she had drugged... Tried to drug the old man, and that's why she was trying to get her no, husband not no, to drink no. it. <gasps> he took their voices. Yeah, he took their voices, and then he lets them in. Yeah, that's good. And why has he got a little body and a big head? <laughs> Is he one of those football figures that I've got upstairs? <laughs> oh, my drink nearly came out of my nose. And who's who's trying Ooh. to get in? And what are they? What is what's the? And they're attached to the moon. The moon's pretty scary. It's almost like vampires. It's like a vampire lore, isn't it? I thought it was Black Eyed Kids to start with. but um, that's... I thought it was Black Eyed Kids first when I first found it and started reading it. And then I was like, oh, no, maybe it isn't. But then, who knows? That's a horrible story. I loved it. Mm. So, of the three stories that we've done today, has that been the worst one for you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, guess what? What? We're not finished our world adventure. Because next time, we're going somewhere else. We're moving. Guess where we're going next week? Thailand. No. Norway. No. Myanmar. Really? Uh, really? No. <laughs> no. But we are going to go to Australia next week. Really? That's a long way to go. For I know it's a long way to go for a podcast. But listen, these are the things we have to do. This is why we have a Patreon. I think Australia is a great idea because there's loads of it'll be first people lore won't it so that'd be amazing first people lore and I'm also looking for some nice cryptid stories there's a good there's good cryptid stories in Australia so I'm like jittery you just tell yourself it's a Pokemon it's really good that's how I'm oh is that how it works yeah anything that ever happens to me I'm gonna be like it's just what Pokemon or what Meowth it was Meowth in the cupboard Meowth or maybe it's Rattata and that's why it's scratching Rattata 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 oh you're so annoying review number one comes from Gattiter. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> it's almost like we've landed. It's Gattata. <laughs> and it is entitled Great Show by an Epic Duo. If you're looking for the perfect podcast, you've come to the right place. Emma and Dan are awesome. Perfect mixture of humour, old country charm, scary stories and entertaining banter. It's as if Mulder and Scully were reborn in the UK and launched a podcast with awesome accents. That is... Which one would I be, though? Would I be Scully or Mulder? You'd obviously be Mulder. Why are we doing gender stereotypes? It's about personality. No, no, it's not about gender stereotypes. It's the fact that Mulder always thinks that something is like supernatural oh, yeah, good point. every <laughs> single time. But Scully's like, it can't possibly be. Hey, and the I haven't whole, seen a lot of x You've got to remember that. The whole premise of that TV show is every single episode, Scully is like, it cannot possibly be the supernatural. Even though it was all the last 20 times we did a case <laughs> and I saw these really crazy unbelievable things this one couldn't possibly be supernatural and then it is supernatural but I fucking love the X-Files I really want to get the X-Files PlayStation 1 going because it's supposed to be really good okay we shall do that um, and thank you that was a really nice review it and our really second nice one is entitled Great Show Keep It Up from Colita love this podcast truly Emma and Dan are a great duo Oh, that's duo twice in a podcast or in a review. And the fun banter adds to the stories they delve into each week. Thanks for the stories and the front, the the front, the fun, the front, the f- f- the fun. Oh, and that's from Kalita in Texas. I've had a beer and a half and you've had nothing. 
I know. And I can't even speak. It's, it's the because fear. It's Tomoko. What's his name? <laughs> Toshio. It's the, it's the genuine fear of, <laughs> of you think Toshio You think Toshio is bad. You haven't met Tomoko. You wait till we meet Tomoko. Tomoko is like Toshio 2.0. Yep. <laughs> the reckoning. <laughs> Tiny Bim's Tales this week is going to be a very special episode <gasps> to celebrate our 100th anniversary. <laughs> what? To celebrate our 100 patrons. Patron versus. And it's going to be a video, and I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a video? Yes. We're watching a video? No. We are the video. We're making a video. Didn't you give the camera back? Yeah, I did give the camera back, but we're just going to have to have a low quality video that is recorded on my phone. Okay. So I apologize. I apologize, but the sound will be amazing. But the video quality won't be very good. And we, yeah, if you want to see that video episode, it will take me quite a while to edit it, I think. Because I'm not very, I'm not very slick when it comes to using um, Photoshop to edit uh, videos, so it does take me a considerable amount of time. But and if, I do nothing, so therefore. But if you want to watch that video, then you need to subscribe to our Patreon page, and for five dollars a month, you get access to all of the Tiny Tales episodes. Tiny Bims. Do 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 do, and you also get access to the Fifty P Movie Club, and for two dollars a month. You get access to the 50p movie club. So that's the 50p movie club. With Dan and Will. <laughs> if you want to talk to us, you can come and talk to us on Instagram. We are on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. I am, it is me who runs it. Hello. Dan has his own Instagram called 50p movie club. What is it? It's 50p movie club. We also have a Twitter page at Real Ghost Pod. And we are on Facebook, Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. Give our little page a like and then come and join us in our super secret group. Super secret secret group. Super secret secret super group. That and is called or... side to the question. It's called ORLGS Super Group. And, and the answer to the, answer the question, question is Jen Emma and, and Tony. Dan. Oh, sorry. No, it's definitely not Jen and Tony. Oh, okay. It's Emma and Dan. But I am digging all of your responses to the questions at the moment. They do make me laugh. I'm actually a bit frightened to go to bed. Sorry, we can watch Game Chasers or something. Okay, let's watch some Game Chasers. Let's watch something nice before we go to bed. And on that note, we'll see you next week. Au revoir.